Good morning, church. How are you doing? I know that you're all doing better than me, so don't even act like it's close today because uh, I sound like something the cat drug in and then kicked it around a couple more times, but you know what? I'm here because there's no place I'd rather be. But I will, I'll keep my distance. I will keep my distance from you. And I see Gene in the house, and I see, I see the Getz family, Michelle. I see Ken in the house, and I want to go hug people. And I'm like, oh, don't do it, right? I'll be that guy. I'll be the bubonic plague guy, right, that has it and then hugs everybody and gives it. And trust me, the way I feel right now, I don't want anyone else to be partaking in this uh, joyous event. So I do have another joyous event that I get to share with you guys right now. We get to light the Advent candle. We are in week two of Advent, and I get to do love with you guys today. And I've, I've asked what I feel is the most appropriate loving couple to come join us. It's the possible newlyweds getting ready to be married here in just a few weeks. Uh, Josh and Jenna, come on up here, you guys, and then that will be the lighter, and then you're going to be lighting that one right there. Um, I will now get away from you. So, um, Josh, Jenna, this church so desperately needs the uh, wonderful wisdom of you. Something more than manna tacos, I'm hoping. I know you're still not awake yet this morning, but I did call him last night, and I gave him a little bit of time. I said, Josh, would you and Jenna come up here and bless us? What do you guys, I mean, now you're getting married, like two weeks? What is the timeline here? Two weeks? You don't even know? You have to look? 20, 27 days. Perfect. Just hand the mic to her and let her answer. From here on out, Josh, just, just work that same system from here on out. When, you're, when in doubt, just whatever Jenna says is correct. Yes, go with that. What are you guys most looking forward to? And would you just share maybe a little nugget, a little pearl about love for the church this morning before you light the candle? Um, yeah, we're just, we're really looking forward to spending the rest of our lives together. Um, that's really what it comes down to. But love is, to us, um, it's everything, and it's the foundation of our souls. Amen. We're tied to it from God, and that's what we're joining in when we marry, yes. and keeping him in our roots is everything to us, so Amen. it's love to us. And would you guys light that candle for us? And while they're lighting the candle, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to pray for us. Father God, first and foremost, I thank you for the Advent week. I thank you for the opportunity to just be prepared for the arrival of Christ. And this morning, as we get to celebrate love and who you are and what love actually means to believers, I just want to celebrate Josh and Jenna with the church this morning. And thank you for the opportunity to just have the opportunity to say, hey, you're, if your love is like Christ, if your love is from Christ, then you will have an incredible marriage that the world will not only value, but want to come to you and get advice from. Father, may the marriages in this building this morning, may they receive an additional dose of your Holy Spirit and remind them just what a blessing, unconditional love from God actually is. And that this morning, I think this probably would be the shortest message I've ever given, but it's the only thing that can really be said about love, Father, is what Josh said. It's everything. It's everything and anything that we hope to be, and it comes from you. 
If you know God, then you know love. And if you don't know God, then there is no love. So thank you this morning for the opportunity to light this candle. Thank you this opportunity to bless this couple in advance before their glorious day comes. And may you protect and keep every marriage and every relationship in this building this morning as we spend a few minutes this morning talking about week two of Advent, the greatest gift the world has received, the love of Jesus Christ. Father, we do it in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I'm going to get that microphone back to the thing. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. Joshua will hopefully be uh, back up in the rotation, and maybe we'll get some more Manitaco wisdom in like February or March um, after you get back from your uh, wedding, because that will take pretty much all your time and energy, I'm sure. Well, like I said, it's week two, and last week uh, Bill did a fabulous job of closing out the book of James for us in chapter five. And then he helped us transition into the first week of uh, Advent, which was hope. And I don't know if you guys caught the idea of hope is that the uh, first candle, that purple candle there is the prophecy candle. And what it is is the idea that the Messiah was prophesied. Long before he ever came, he was prophesied. And so the hope that comes during Advent week, which Advent means uh, Adventus in Latin, arrival, we talk about the arrival of Christ. So this great hope that's coming to the world in Christ and so today, as we get to the second candle, which is love, the love of Christ is so important because the reality is, even though it will be a very short, succinct message this morning, the reality is without Christ, there is no love. Everything that flows from him, everything that he has shown us, everything that he has taught us, everything that we could experience when it comes to unconditional love is exclusively through the acts of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but just like getting excited for like a young couple is like, there's nothing more exciting to, for me than to bathe someone in love. And I feel like when you see a young couple like that, it just reminds you what a blessing it was to get married. Now, we also have the blessing of having some amazing marriages in this church. And so thank you, back row left, and some of you 30, 40, and 50, and 60-year marriages. I think Merv and Jean had the record going into it. But thank God that this church also has the leg of, of some amazing marriages I wish my wife was here to say something nice to her, but she is also homesick. So, honey, I know you're home watching, but thank you, God, for the love of a good, of a good mate. I mean, just it, it makes a huge difference in your life. So the Advent seasons is an opportunity for us to stop what we're doing, to slow the roll of the frenzied pace of Christmas shopping and dinners and all the different things and simply say, what is it that really happens in the month of December? What is it that really happens in the four weeks prior to Christmas? Now, for the staff and for the church, what really happens is sickness and disease and all the different things that we basically just share with one another because we're, we're you know we start the week before thanksgiving and we go at it and we literally will run all the way until christmas eve and then after christmas eve we all basically wake up and uh, spend christmas morning in our beds uh, medicating for the next week so that's a, that's a glorious way to spend our time off <laughs> But the reality is, is the hope that Bill talked about last week, the hope that Jesus came in the prophecy candle. By the way, my candle, uh, the love candle, is also known as the Bethlehem candle, is that the fact that Jesus is in, uh, ish, ushering in something into the world that the world has never seen before, a new way to love, a new understanding of love. So once again, if you weren't here last week and you, and you missed out, Advent week means arrival. So we're getting ourselves ready for Christmas Eve. We're getting ourselves ready for that 
candle in the middle where peace and love come together. Because without Christ coming, that is not an opportunity that the world would have. And the greatest part of that simply is this, is that the hope that Christ is bringing to the world is a hope that Romans 5, 5 says, is a hope that will not disappoint. Amen? A hope that will not disappoint. It's a love from him that the world could not and would not be able to understand. And I think it's pretty simple is because the, the world already has an idea of what love is. You know, a lot of times in life, you could be really motivated. You could meet someone who has an, an idea of something, a concept of something, and they're really motivated and they believe they're right. And as I said before, you can still be 100% convinced and 100% wrong, right? So because of that, I think that's kind of what my situation with love is. So since I'm a visual person, even though my wife's not here, I found a parking situation where I thought this might help you guys understand something. In this parking situation, the individual is 100% convinced that he's 100% right based on what he understands. But Mark, if you could be so kind to show the most amazing, simplistic. Okay, so, so what we have here, we have a vehicle that says uh, reserved for green vehicles. And what we have there is a beautiful, lovely Chevy 2000 LS work truck, which happens to be green. Now, I don't know about you, but that's legal, right? The funny thing is this is actually on Reddit. You can look the whole thing up. The guy actually took it to court and actually got an attorney to prosecute, and he won his case because it is legal, but that's not the intent of what a green vehicle is, right? So I think the same thing is true. It's like, what can I'm trying to, this whole week, I'm trying to write stuff down on love. I'm like, how can you be creative about love? What, is there really anything new to say about love? Have we not already said everything? I mean, you should already know by now everything there is to know about love. And yet I thought, well, I still have to do it. So what is it that I can give you guys? Maybe it's only one or two. It's going to be really fast, but one or two nuggets that I think this morning that would say, you know what, you may have a concept of it, and you may be convinced that you're right, and an attorney may say you're right, but it's just, that's not what it was meant to be, right? That's not what it's meant to be. So this is my first nugget for you this morning. The reality of love, and I'm going to say California, United States, the reality of love today as I see it is, what can I get? What can I get? What will you give me? Now, Unfortunately, this is transmitted not only in our relationships, but in just about everything we do, even in the church, believe it or not. I have people telling me, what, what does the church have to offer me? What can I get? Because our concept of love is so confusing, even though it makes sense to us, we're Americans, this is what it means, it has nothing to do with biblical love. Because in the exact opposition of biblical love is what can I give, Right? What can I get versus what can I give? And the reason why I think that's so important is I may not have anything else to share with you this morning, but by the time it gets to communion, I want you to realize something. If you're spending your life, if you woke up this morning and you thought, man, I really need something today, and I hope my church gives it to me, I want you to realize something. What you need, the church has already given you in salvation, right? What Jesus has already given you in salvation is what you need for every day of your life and for eternity, what you need to do this morning is make the most of what you have. And sometimes we don't have a lot. And I'm clearly, as, as I begin to sweat profusely in my face and all these other things, and clearly sometimes we, what we have is not that sufficient and we feel very inadequate. Yet God says, bring to me what you have, right? He could have recruited um, Aristotle, right? He could have recruited Socrates, 
He could have recruited Pliny. He was available during the time. He was a fabulous theologian. But he recruited fishermen. Now, on behalf of the fishermen in this building, and there are a few of us, Rod, my buddy, Rod, one thing unique about fishermen is we're very myopic. We're very singular in kind of our scope. And traditionally, we don't have the most fruitful language on the planet Earth. Because when we don't get the one thing that we're singularly minded for, we have a tendency to be very frustrated. Yet not only did he start by the lake, he stayed by the lake. And if you actually look at the guys he rallied, no greater love is it for me is to say that, you know, guys, bring me what you have. I don't, I don't want you to be something special. I don't need you to do anything else. I'm special. I just need you to bring me what you have. And so in that, as I realized something, to me, all of a sudden, I started seeing something. That love is, is verb. It felt like it was a verb to me, like verb. Like, you know, okay, you're like, Pastor Jeff, you're going to do an English lesson when you're not feeling well? That's not very wise. It's not wise, and I'm not interested in doing an English lesson, but I was curious, so I looked it up. In the New Testament, the use of unconditional love 400 times, 147 times when the word love is used, unconditional love, it is action-based. It is the greatest amount of its use, action-based. So go back to my first point. Rather than what you get from love, that changes the whole dynamic, right, church? Now it's what you can give by loving. And it's not just loving, it's sacrificial love. Think about it. Mary, Christmas Eve, what kind of love is it for a teenage girl to offer her body to the Lord and say, whatever you would have me to do, Lord, here am I. That's a young person that's tapped into unconditional love. And the action there is giving of what she has. What about her better half? Uh, he's older, Joseph, yet he doesn't find out that she's pregnant out of wedlock and then stone her, which he had every right to do. He has some issue, he has some concerns, but he listens and he comes to an understanding and he unconditionally forgives and stands by her. You know, I don't know about you, but talk about an, a story in the Bible, like we really don't know much about Joseph. Can you imagine being Jesus's earthly father? I mean, I mean, you don't really even know anything about him, but we know this, he stood by Mary, unconditional. When it comes to Jesus's greatest commands, the greatest commands he gave, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Church, if that doesn't sound like the totality of your body, I don't know what it is. Heart, mind, and soul, everything you have. He's not asking for just a portion of it. He doesn't want you to give when it's convenient. He wants you to give when it's down and dirty. He wants you to give when it's ugly. He wants you to give because ministry is ugly. Jesus said the church is a hospital. Jesus said his people will come to him broken. I didn't come for the healthy. Jesus said that. Yeah, think about it when I say to people, um, I'm really interested in evangelism. I'm really interested in bringing your neighborhood in and inviting your friends and your family in. And people often tell me, well, I'm just looking for people that, you know, that would fit in at the church do us a favor. Nobody fits in at the church. No one should fit in at the church, okay? We are a group of saved sinners from an eclectic background, and the one thing that we can always come together and just realize is bring everyone. Bring anyone and everyone you know. Everyone is eligible for the love of God, because he said, for God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him, that everyone should not perish but have everlasting life. And the greatest of this commandments is this. Uh, on these two things, uh, excuse me, I lost my track there. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, with body, and soul. The totality of self is included in that. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. For on these, all the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then he goes on to say, but it's more than just actions, little children, 1 John 3.18. Let us love in word and talk, but in deed and truth. Right? This is an incredible picture. It's kind of like um, when you were a kid and you got that little uh, thing and had a circle in it and you did one little circle with the color and then you did another circle with the color and then as you continued to kind of do it, this, ma- this magnificent toy, you know, share this thing as it continued to grow. It's like love is so much more dynamic than we could possibly understand. And as love continues to grow and as love continues to expose what it's really asking us to do, it wants to be more than just action. It wants to be in deed and in truth. It's more than just verbs trying to produce actions that make you feel like you're doing church. It's soul change. It's heart change. It's mind change. To where you wake up in the morning and no matter what you're doing, you think there's no place I'd rather be than in the house of the Lord today where I can celebrate my father. But you know what? It's also a noun. It's a person. It's a place. It's a thing. And the cool thing about the Bible is it didn't leave us with the American love, which we love hamburgers and love dogs. We love the Dodgers, some of us. <laughs> we love the Angels, some of us. We, we love hamburgers and we love... It's like what, our American love is so confusing, right? That you can do all those things and then you tell your wife, I love you. It's no wonder why sometimes that doesn't seem sufficient. The Bible didn't leave us hanging like that. It gave us four separate words, Greek words that all have unique meanings and understandings. Of course, agape, which is what I'm fo- focusing on, unconditional love. But it also talked about the love of a friend, the relationship that Jonathan and David had, phileo. Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. There you go. We're learning stuff today. How about storge, the love of family, right? Families, family dynamics can be very interesting in how we love and care for one another. That's another word separate in there. And of course, eros, the one that makes us all, you know, nervous a little bit because it's the stem word for erotic. But really what it is is passionate love. And you need a passionate love. Like, I'm passionate about evangelism, and that's a different kind of love. And I'm so grateful that we have all these different understandings because the reality is he wants us to realize that in every capacity, person, place, and thing, in every capacity that love is, they all say one thing. they all relative to this. The spiritual truth is this, that without Christ, you would not be able to comprehend them. 1 Corinthians 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is what a person should focus on. Love is what a person should fix their eyes upon. Love is what we should wake up in the morning and remind ourselves before we go, before we make, before we baptize, before we teach. I want to be someone that communicates love to the world around me. Now, how important is that? What's so important about that is, is if you, don't do communi- if you don't communicate in love, the Bible says, then you're just a banging cymbal. And I've always liked when there's a drum set that has a banging cymbal, but unfortunately, ours are electronic. 
and uh, I could go there and smash that thing and it wouldn't make a noise at all, so it would not be very effective for the demonstration. But I can tell you this, if you find a cymbal and you smash it, it's quite obnoxious, right? And that's what it's saying is that when we talk and when we speak and when we act and when we do without being in love, without thinking about how love is affecting the relationship, we're just making a terrible noise. And church, that's not going to draw anyone to the Lord. I couldn't believe it too. 62 more times it was used as an adjective. And then I started realizing how much I was getting into an English lesson and I got sick with myself. But the word that the adjective described more and more and more was the word beloved. Be loved. And every single time it referenced the same thing, the son. This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. God himself confirms that Jesus is love. You can't even know love if you don't know Jesus. Whether it's a person, whether it's a place, whether it's a thing, love is so complex that I'm so grateful that my Somebody gave me this book, and I'm sure you guys have all had this Gary Chapman's book on the love languages, that Gary Chapman wrote a book that says, you know what, just giving and receiving love is done differently, right? You guys all know this book? This is all common knowledge. Physical touch. Dr. Chapman realized that for some people, if they don't have physical touch every day, they don't know what love is. They only know love through physical touch. Now, on behalf of those of you who come on Sunday and say that hugging me is one of your favorite things, I just want you to know that I smile inside and I think about what a blessing it is for me to say to you that I love you by hugging you, right? Because physical touch is from where? It's from God. Why do you think the picture of Michelangelo and just reaching out, the single finger to touch man is so significant? Because God wants us to know that we're loved. And he's created all those amazing feelings that go with it. But because there are different kinds of love, and it doesn't have to be weird, because there can be love between a friend and love of a family member, according to Sterge and Phileo, there's different kinds of love, then we can love one another. And it's not weird, and it's not awkward, and it's beautiful. And you know what? The world's jealous of that. Because we know something about love, because we know the author of love. And that's a really good place for you and I to be. When you get confused about something, I always just ask, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus love in this situation? My neighbor's being rude. Someone's being rude. Someone cut me off in my car. And Jesus was in the car with me. How would Jesus respond? And by the way, the Bible says the Spirit of God is with you. So for the record, I think that would kind of indicate you may want to consider that the next time you decide to act differently is that the Spirit of God is supposed to be with you. So reconsider how you're about to act. And in love, let that person in. Now, I, I live off of Bear and uh, the 405 freeway, and I can tell you this. If I don't exercise mercy driving home every night, I would already have been in, like, massive fights and on TV and all kinds of different things because it's, it's South Coast Plaza. Everyone's trying to get to South Coast Plaza, and no one has any consideration for anything because, A, they're, half of them are lost, B, the second half of them are confused. And C, the rest of them are driving cars that are so exotic that they probably just think that everyone will naturally stop for them. I don't. <laughs> and then I think, what would Jesus do, Jeff? He probably would let him in. And not only do I let him in, but I do this. <laughs> and you know what really steams me? When they don't give me the back, right? 
I could have, I could have pinched you. I, trust me, ask Tom. I, Tom knows how I drive. I could easily pinch you. I could keep you out there and send you to Fairview and give you a nice little loop around the block before you get back to the mall. But I didn't. Why? <laughs> because I'm delusional. And because physical touch is not how I want to express my love to you because then when we do park, it's going to be a different kind of physical touch and that's not very loving. How about quality time? Some of you guys like quality time. Think about this. The American family, I learned this in seminary. I'm going to share with you some seminary information. The American family, according to one of my guys I went to school with, was destroyed in the 1950s. You know he credits the single greatest destruction to the American family? Television and fast food. Okay. Here's what television did. It took the family from the table to the event. Here's what fast food did. It made it to where individuals could now feed themselves before coming home. Prior to 1950, the American family came home after work, all of them, to sit at the table and socialize and spend quality time as a unit. And the mother probably cooked it all. Sure, if we're going to go with racism, then sure, only mothers cook. <laughs> Favoritism. Who's going to argue with Darlene? Now think about what it is. Now we come home and we do this and I do this and you do that and then you go here and then I'm going here and we have how many TVs in our small little house? I have three in 1,200 square feet. So one there, one here, and one there. Quality time. What happens if you're a quality time person? Where are you going to get your quality time anymore? But think about what Christmas does. Christmas forces us to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, we have kids and stuff like that, so for the kids, it might be present-based and gift-giving and all that, but reality, as for all of us as we grow older, for me, for you, the thing that's really valuable is, is that moment when we're all sitting around that one Christmas tree and just hanging out, and there's laughter and joy, and my, I get to look over at my wife, which I know she's watching right now, and my wife is just alive because that's her, that's her love language. You spend quality time with her, she doesn't, she could care less about gifts. Every year we ask her the same thing. What do you want? I don't need anything. What does she want? She wants her family together. She wants them in that front room. And she doesn't care about the mess or anything else about what it takes to get it done because quality time is so significant. Think about the quality time that Jesus spent with us. It was only three and a half years that his ministry really began. And yet we changed the calendar for him. Now, I know your generation of kids is going to be changed, right? My generation, B.C., meant before Christ. And that's just common what we believed. A.D., Anno Domini, after Christ, right? I mean, these are things that it was. Now, they've come up with all these new sayings. But the reality is the birth of Christ changed time. And they marked it. Because it's a quality of time that makes a huge difference. And Christmas, I'm so grateful for Christmas because it's going to force us to sit down with the ones we love and remind us ultimately what's really important. Gifts. Okay, so gifts is a love language. And some people do love gifts. But I've noticed something about gifts that I want to share with you because we have gift givers in this church, by the way. We have gift givers in my staff. We have people who every single day, if they can give you a gift, that's easier for them to say, I love you, I care about you, or thank you, than just to give you a gift. People that like gifts want a gift that's picked out for them. Don't give a gift giver a gift card. Because that says, 
I know that this is what you like, but I don't really know what you like. I'm not paying attention to you. So here, just go do it on your own. That's not their love language. For those of you who want to love the gift giver in your life, take the time about February, March to do what I do. In my phone, I start about February, March, because usually they didn't get it at Christmas, so they start talking about it in January, like, I really wanted a such and such and a such and such. And I make those notes so that before Christmas ever gets here, all throughout the year, I'm listening to things that they thought they might enjoy or things that they thought they would like. So by the time I get to Christmas, I have a little bit of a list for everyone. That's my secret. I share that with you. (laughs) Think about the gift that Jesus Christ gave us. The greatest gift the world has ever been given was an act committed on the most barbaric thing known to the Roman Empire, a cross. Yet the reality of this amazing gift is this, church. If you don't receive it, if you don't open it, then it is the single greatest gift in the world, but it's not been actualized. It's not been realized. I don't know about you, but every year when we pull out the Christmas stuff from last year, we find presents from last year that never made it. Right? Did that happen with you guys? Pull stuff out of the box, and boom, here comes a present that was for such and such. This is not one of those kind of presents where it really didn't make that big of a difference. This is the greatest gift that you can offer the world. If you truly love someone, if you truly care about anyone in your family, in your oikos, in your life, the gift of salvation is the greatest gift. Words of affirmation. I am someone that loves to affirm. I, am love, I love encouragement. Barnabas is my, one of my heroes in the Bible. I want to be an encourager. But think about one of the things that's super, super rare today. In the world that we live in, even with all the media things and everything, have we really become a society that wants to encourage or bless or use words to affirm other people? The reality of Twitter and all of my space and your space and his space and their space and Instagram and Slamagram and whatever grams you want to, <laughs> chocolate-covered gram, I don't care what it is. The reality of all these things is I now have a platform where I can share my frustration with the world. And I'm going to let everybody know how disappointed and disgusted I am. And I want to share something with you that I learned a long time ago in ministry. Always praise in print. Always criticize in person. Because there's a biblical mandate on what we can and can't even criticize about, and it will keep you in check. Praise in print, criticize in person. If you want to criticize, if you want to hold someone accountable, 1 Timothy 4.2. Biblically reprove, you have to tell them what it is that they're doing wrong. Biblically remove, and then biblically exhort, draw close. It's a process. It's a pruning process. It goes back to the thing. Cut it off. Draw close. Otherwise, think about this. When you're not sure what to say, just go ahead and give it to them. You need it too. I need it too. But a good single word of affirmation. Hey, John, I just wanted to tell you thank you. You really went the extra mile with those chairs. And it's a simple thing, but it means a lot. Maybe no one in the church knows it, but thank you. A word of encouragement, fabulous. And of course, I saved this one for last because I think this is the thing that everything is hinging on, acts of service. An act of service simply says this, when I tell you I love you, that's one thing, but when I wash the dishes, wow, ask anyone in my family what that means. Me and dishes, I don't do dishes. I like paper plates and plastic things. I like to clean it all and throw it all the way as soon as I'm done. I like to leave no trace that I was anywhere in the kitchen at all. Because when I walk into my kitchen, Dallas and Jennifer leave lots of traces. 
that they were in there. And so when they pile them in the middle sink, then I tell them the middle sink is not for piling, the right sink is for piling. My act of service is simply this. Okay, you want to play this? I'll wash the whole kitchen. I'll do it all. I'll scrub it all wall to wall. And they seem to think that's funny because that's ultimately why they put them in the middle one because they know I'm going to get so frustrated. They also do this with other things in the house. I'm not going to tell you all the things that drive me crazy that my family does, but they will leave all their clothes in the dryer for weeks (laughs) because they know at some point I'm going to want to dry something, and I can't. So what will I do? I will fold everything in the dryer perfectly and put it in everyone's, and they love it. And they fill the dryer up, 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 right? I mean, it's like you can't even stick your finger in there. It's like a solid wall of clothing. Acts of service are more than just saying, I understand you're hungry. They're like, hey, did you guys hear? Uh, we have a food ministry. By the way, we have a food ministry. Michelle Tizon, are you in the building? No? Okay. Michelle Tizon is across the street. If you guys want to get involved with our food ministry, we can get you connected with there. What that happens is when a family in our church is struggling or kind of going through a rough moment, Michelle will then organize a list of people who will then either bring food or send food to somebody. Now, one of the things that I love about that is when you send food like Panera or whatever, it's like, hey, we want to help out. That's what we can do. But one of the things I really love is when someone makes something and brings it to us, right? You guys been there? We've all been there. We've all needed help with something like that big honking bowl of soup that somebody makes or chili or whatever it is. It's like a simple act of service can say so much more than, hey, I love you or I care about you. It's like it shows everything. And then the reality is this physical touch, that's an act of service, right? For, you, for me to come hug you is an act of service. Quality time? In order for me to spend quality time with you, it's an act of service. I have other things that I could be using my time with, but I'm going to make an act of service, and I'm going to go spend some time with you. Gifts? It's an act of service. I got to tell myself there's someone in my life that's more important and the opportunity to go find something for them and give that to them is going to be significant. So it's an act of service to go get that and give it to them. And even words of affirmation is an act of service. I have to think about the fact that somebody in my life right now as valuable as I say they are and I think they are would be blessed if I could come up with something or prayerfully consider the fact that I can just say something to them right now that would be encouraging to them And that would be an act of service. So to summarize, John said this, God is love. John was known as the beloved. John is the one who Jesus laid his head on. John is the one who says, everything we can know about God is love. And then he tells us this amazing concept. And the reason why we love is because he first loved us. You, church, you need to think about that. I, all of us are in different aspects of relationships right now, but you couldn't be in a relationship right now, at least when it comes to biblically speaking. You can't be in a biblically-based loving relationship right now unless you first deeply understand how loved you are. You're loved because you were in sin and you were wayward, and he said to you, well, get it all cleaned up, and then when you are, come back to talk to me and we'll see if I can love you. No. He said, bring me your dirty, wretched, covered in sin, mud and mire body. Bring that body to me because that you are one of mine. 
and let me wash you. Let me cover you. Let me robe you. Right? Prodigal son, you guys all know the story, right? Jesus displayed to the world, and the second part of John 3.16 has always interested me. Why do we always tell him John 3.16 without telling him John 3.17? Right? It's not just that he loved the world and gave his son for the world, but 17 says not to condemn the world, but to save it through Jesus. To save. He's mighty to save, right? There's a worship song we could have sang. He's mighty to save. He wants to save. And love actually encompasses everything about what he's trying to do. Think about this. Even in the rapture, we, we did the Revelation series and we talked, even when the rapture finally does come, is that going to be the end? Well, it's going to be the end for a portion of humanity. A portion of us will be taken away. But is that the end for the people left behind? No, it's not. God is so loving and cares so much about his children that even something as horrific as a rapture saying, okay, you didn't believe, then you're not in that first wave. You're still not out. Now it's going to cost you. If you're here, it's going to cost you. The mark is going to be an interesting thing and how life is going to be, it's going to cost you. But the point of it is you're not out. You're not done. Thief on the cross, you're not done. Because he is love. Everything about him encompasses love and everything he wants you to realize is this, is no greater love as this, that a man lay down his life for his friend and we ought to lay down our lives for our other, for other brothers, 1 John 3. We can't be Christians without unconditional love. We can't. If you don't understand unconditional love, if you've made it this far in your journey and you don't understand it, then today, as simple as it was, I hope it's profound because you can't be a follower of Christ without understanding just how much you're loved. And as we get ready to do communion this morning and as we get ready to think about all the different things that God continues to do for us, I want you to realize something. Even the Advent candles, hope, Love, joy, peace. You couldn't have any of those if it wasn't for Jesus' act on the cross. When we get to um, joy next week, Rod will have joy next week. There's no joy without Christ. Remember, Christmas is Christ's mass. Now, for my Catholic brothers, that will make more sense. A mass is a service. It's Christ's Mass. It's his day. It's his mass, right? Everything we know about everything. Why is it so important to so many people? Because the whole world knows it's important. But do they know why it's so important? Because there would be no hope. There would be no joy. And peace? There's no peace right now, but there will be peace one day. So when we think about the great hope that you were talking about, that he would come we also have to think about the great hope that he will return, right? He came, he came as the lamb in the manger, and he was, he was slaughtered and, and given for the sins of the world. But he's coming back as the lion of Judah. And he's going to reconcile this world, the broken world that we live in. He's going to reconcile, and peace will be restored like no one has ever seen before. Because of this great love, because he is King of kings and Lord of lords. I wrote this little prayer down because I knew my brain would not be working. So let me just read this. 
You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are Messiah and ruler of all. Yet you came as a lamb, innocent like a child whose sole purpose was to walk amongst those he loved so dearly, so significantly, to give his life as an atonement for those who didn't even know him. Emmanuel, they said, God is with us, love in the form of a baby. From him that he says this, there is no greater gift that I can give you than I lay down my life for you and call you my friends. Willingly I gave my life, they could not take it. Because I love you, now my blood covers your sins, and it is paid in full. You've been redeemed, you've been restored, and every time you confess me as Lord and Savior, you are loved. At the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, for eternity your name was sealed in the Lamb's book of life. You have everything you need in me. Now I got to do another communion. <laughs> you know how I feel about communions. I feel that about communions because the Bible says something, and so it's the end of the year, and so I wanted to read this part about the communion. Of course, my pages are completely messed up now, and my life is... <sighs> you know, when you talk about communion, you talk about replenishing the things that are missing in your life. And as I call the band back up here and Matthew to play some music, just close your eyes with me, take a moment, because communion is both an amazing blessing for the church, but it's also a burden. And the reason why it's a burden is that it comes with a reminder that before you take communion, you must examine yourself. Let me read for you what it says. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood and body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Don't you know some have become sick by doing this? Church, I don't know about you. I need... I need a mega dose of communion today. I'm probably going to drink all that juice and eat all my bread because I need all that. But I need it more than just today, right? And so do you. I'm really grateful to have the once a month communion, but the reality is some churches do communion every Sunday, and I can't fault them for doing that. It's a tough world we're living in right now. It's a tough time don't see a lot of joy to the world and a lot of really godly things on the TV much more anymore. And so the place that we need to see that is here. And the place that we need to hold that banner high is here. And the thing that we need to do above all is fight to be here. Because this is the bride of Christ. And he said the gates of hell will not prevail against this. So when you get a chance to do communion today, I want you to think about that. Is he is your source. He is your encouragement. He is your strength. And every time you take that cup and remind yourself that your sins are covered, and every time you take that bread and remind you it is his strength, his body given for you so that you can be the love that the world knows. I'm going to ask the people helping us give communion at this time to come forward.
I'm going to pray for the communion. I'm going to have you guys just come up and get it, and then if you could just sit back down with it and wait, and then I'll do one final prayer before we actually take it. Father God, as we, as the scripture asks us to examine ourselves now in preparation for communion, Father, I pray that you would examine us in that same unconditional love that has been presented for 2,000 years to this world. The greatest gift is not just something that can be opened once at Christmas and, and done away with. Father, the gift of salvation is something that once is opened and received. Father, it makes every day, every week, every hour, every moment, something special, something privileged. And there's been a lot of really amazing things happening these last few weeks and the last few months here, Father, in Costa Mesa and in your church. But it does seem like in the places where the hostility is the greatest, your church grows and thrives. So maybe by being complacent, maybe by being relaxed, maybe by being in a place where things are all good and easy, Father, we're just not as hungry for things of the Lord that we could be or should be. Father, may you find in our hearts this morning, may you find in our minds, may you find in our souls, as your scripture once again said, the totality of who we are longing for a deeper connection and relationship with you because of the love your son Jesus Christ showed us on that cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please come forward.
Mark, do you guys have communion up there? Okay, good. Beautiful selection of music. All to Jesus I surrender. If we could do that every, each and every day that we woke up and just kind of remind ourselves the simplicity of the songs, what a friend we have in Jesus, and all to Jesus I surrender. I think every day would be a far more powerful day for the kingdom of God. Church, for what I received from the Lord, I delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I just want to finish with one final, that little slide, the original slide, Mark, can you put that no God, no love? If it's not up there, no. The other one, the opening slide, that, that's pretty funny too, though, Mark. Yeah, thank you for that. That's, that, yeah. Originally, that slide said no, K-N-O-W, K-N-O-W, no God, K-N-O-W, love. That's what it says on the website. And then the other part of it says, no God, N-O, God, no love. I just want to remind you guys this morning that it, if we could just keep faith simple, if we would remove the complexity of faith, it'd be a lot easier to invite our friends and family into it. May you find in this Christmas season the opportunity to step back from the busyness, step back from your need to make things so complex, and just realize it's really, really good because it has nothing to do with you. It's really, really good because it has everything to do with him. God bless you guys. Let's worship. Thanks, Jeff. That was an awesome message. Okay. okay. We're feeling pretty relaxed right now, I can tell. <laughs> Let's get on the feet. We're going to kick this up. We're going to do one song, and you guys are out of here, okay?
Beautiful. Have a blessed day. Yes, we are.